Hello. Welcome to Silencing Women in the Name of God. I'm your host, Devery Alice. Today we're going to be talking to Ashley Eborn. Uh, Ashley and I have known each other for a long time, but have been out of touch forever. We reconnected after I read a blog post that she had put up and I reached out to her. The blog post was lovely and I actually have her read it. I was like, I'm going to mess it up. I just want you to read it. So you guys get to actually hear it from her mouth, the words that she uh, laid down. And then we're going to go in and pull apart all of the things that she wrote. And we talk about so many things like motherhood. Guys, we get real. We get real about motherhood and the necessity of choice in that matter when you're growing up religious. Uh, She also talks a lot about conforming, which I think is such a powerful topic because it's so consistent among uh, high demand religions. And she talks about how young this choice was made for her that she needed to conform, uh, how easy and how fast it happened, and the consequences of that choice as she grew older and stepped into adulthood. Uh, for her, it was numbness. Like she just shut down. And I I think that a lot of people will see themselves in this. I I even had periods of that. My, my main reaction to this conformity was shame and anger. Uh, but there was definite moments of numbness. And this was a, a very real state of being for her. And she gets uh, in depth about this. Thank you guys for being here. I hope you enjoy everything that she has to say, but more so, I hope you see yourself in her story and can take some some courage and some tips for how far she has come. I'm so happy to have you here today. So, so Ashley, <laughs> <laughs> poor Ashley, we have uh, tried to record this a couple of times and it's just been technical issue after technical issue. And so <laughs> this poor woman's like never again. Um, no, I, no. <laughs> I, I feel bad. Oh my God. I'm like, what is going I, on? Is it like, <laughs> I don't think you can control the technical issues. No need <sighs> to feel bad. It's all good. Um, but yes, that's why, like, I'm like, hi, Ashley. And she's like, hi, <laughs> we're doing this again. Okay. So Ashley and I actually met, like, it's been at least 10 years. Uh, we met in church. So Ashley grew up Mormon as well. And we like, we did some music stuff together. So we like, we knew each other, but we weren't tight. Right. And then she, whatever, we went on a date to a movie theater. Did we? <laughs> yeah. Don't you remember that? We went. I remember like... nothing. Oh Listen, gosh. you are the third we person. Went... I am not kidding. Ashley and audience, this is embarrassing. You are the third person now within two weeks to be like, yeah, we went and did this thing. And I'm like, <laughs> have I blocked out like 10 years out. of my life? 
<laughs> I uh, well, and that would have been that would have been during like horrible a postpartum depression time for me. So yes, lots of blocking and like not remembering. So I apologize. I'm sure I had a wonderful time. Anyway, I always get the most embarrassing things on this podcast. Like seriously, I'm like, P.S. I'm a jerk. In case anyone needs to know, um, <laughs> she's not a jerk. I'm she's a real. I just have no brain. It's fine. Um, so yeah, so Ashley moved though. She moved across country, so I hadn't talked to her in quite some time. I wasn't sure where she stood, and then she posted on Facebook a beautiful blog post that she had written. And so I reached out to her and I was like, hey, <laughs> I would love to talk to you. Um, and she graciously agreed to come on. And I'm going to have her actually read this blog post to you guys. And then we're going to discuss and go further in depth on some of the things that she was talking about. Um, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to read her bio. I'm talking like this because this is the third time now, which is sad because no one else has had this for three times. I'm going to read her bio. It's going to be amazing. It's so good. And then I'm going to actually define ahead of time a couple of terms that I know Ashley's going to use in her blog post. So for those of you who are not uh, Mormon or don't have a background, you'll know some of the words that are coming out here. Here we go. Tormented by debilitating depression and anxiety, Ashley made the leap into a self-healing rabbit hole turned passion for accumulating knowledge and tools to help answer questions no church authority or resource could answer. Researching and studying ways to heal her soul has become her main focus over the last several years while simultaneously raising four exceptionally darling kiddos alongside her encouraging husband. Her recent move across the country has challenged her psyche in new ways, but is proving to move her closer to manifesting the life of her dreams. She is a certified feng shui practitioner and Akashic Records reader who loves music, going on adventures in her new surroundings, and always can be found in the mood for a burrito. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to get right into this because I want you guys to hear uh, this blog post that she wrote, Things You Need to Know. Uh, Personal Progress is a term, it's a book actually that was given out to young women in the church and it had goals to do under different faith-based categories. So there would be like divine nature, individual worth, faith, choice and accountability. I know I'm like going through the saying and then there would be things that you could do within those categories like cook your family a meal, learn how to direct music, um, pursue a talent, make a quilt. Uh, Like there was a little room in there to do things that were not to help you be a better mother, but the majority were definitely in there to help you be a better mother. Um, It was learn how to change a tire. (laughs) So that you don't get stranded on the road with your kids. Listen, to be a better mother. (laughs) I mean, that is helpful, but I can, I can make all of these work. Um, and then at the very end, she does refer, she says the name Nephi. Nephi is a um, person in the Book of Mormon who is considered a prophet in Mormon scripture. So like Moses, Aaron, Nephi. So when she says that, that's who we're talking about. And I think everything else is pretty self-explanatory. And I will let Ashley take it away. Go, girl. All right. Thanks, girl. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. How I abundantly changed my stars. Something that I never quite understood as a youth in the church was to be taught to marvel the wonders of the world God created 
and yet was taught to limit and ignore one of the most sacred and masterfully crafted creations, me, or you, if you're reading this. We are taught to limit how very marvelous we are as individuals, which is not one of Christ's teaching, by the way. Jesus walked on water, turned water into wine, defeated death via the Romans multiple times, fed the masses, etc., etc. We're taught to be like him. But what do we really know about the man, the myth, the legend of Jesus? Until I did my own digging and studying, I knew nothing other than what was I was spoon-fed. Today I know a little bit more, but still to compare the depths of knowledge and mysteries he knew that are still being kept from us, I still know nothing, but far more than I did with decades decades worth of Sunday school. So it's referencing um, a photo that I have up here, and it's one of my favorite pieces, and it's one that I gave to my daughter years ago. It's called Light of the World, which is also the subject on one of my most favorite parables I was taught. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and glorify your God which is in heaven. And it goes on to say, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And to that I say, hell yeah. For me, Sunday school was bit like being told to go outside and look up at the night sky through a pinhole which, strangely enough, we're told to look through when there's a solar eclipse, not by chance, and maybe more on that for another time. But we look through this tiny effing pinhole and are told not to question this extremely limited and limiting perspective. Most folks of whom don't know, care, understand, or believe that anything else is beyond that said hole. But that is what it's really like. To me, it's like them saying, well, God doesn't want you to see all the stars, just the one we've approved for your experience here on this planet. Like, really? Who the fuck does that? I'll tell you. Those that don't want you to figure out that their power and control isn't required for you to get into heaven. Heaven is a place on earth, yo. Didn't you know? It is here. It is now, in this now moment, if you so choose it to be. It is not a place where you end up when you die, nor is hell. Hell, I've spent quite a lot of time in, and it's like it's implied it's not a lovely place to spend your life. So I've made other arrangements on where I am, where I now spend my time. Heaven, nirvana, bliss, is a state of being. Being in your true essence, your authentic sovereign authority. So why aren't we taught to discover more about our gifts, talents, and unique abilities as individuals? And I am not talking about that silly checklist they call personal progress, learning how to sew and bake and clean and have goals to play the piano so Susie can one day lead the music in sacrament meeting and or in primary relief society, all of which I have done. Touche, universe. Those are beautiful things to learn and know, most of which I learned from my parents and grandma. So I didn't need to use the damn book, let alone to be chastised and hassled for not wanting to do it because it's effing bullshit. I knew it then, and I'm validated that it still is now. 
but none of those things have helped me figure out the things that I love and make me unique. Well, if you say they help me by showing them that I don't like them, then sure they help. But really, I spent most of my childhood, sorry, most of my adulthood undoing and unlearning all the things that they wanted me to feel connected to and associate with as a domesticated and homely woman of God. Fuck that, Brother Bishop. No, thank you. What is your God-given light that you are a, that you are to share with the world? You know, the thing, the mission you agreed to come here and fulfill. The one that literally no one else in the universe can do. If you don't know, then a kind word of advice to get you started. Stop listening to others who don't support 100% of you. Just stop. It may get ugly, messy, and it might be painful, but the pain, the mess, the ugly is there because you finally feel it coming out and being healed. You are finally acknowledging the abundance of your essence that has been stuffed down, told to be quiet, play small, to stop questioning authority because that's how it's always been done. That which has been trapped inside you for so long, it aches to come out and to be noticed. You are anything but lack. You are the full fucking package, love. Spirituality is about noticing all the abundance around you. Religion, in my experience, focuses on lack, that of which I have had to heal extensively from. To know without self-doubt now that I am, in fact, abundance. I am truth. I am love. I am light. I am anything I want to be. John 10.10, which 10.10 is one of my spirit numbers, says, I came that they may have life and have may have it abundantly. The Godiverse is abundance. That is what you are made from, and that is what you, yes, you, can create from. There is nothing in this known universe that will be held with that will be withheld from you. Nothing. No thing. Ask and it shall be given, knock and it shall be opened. Funny enough, that is the exact phrase that was sent to me to open up many doors and windows since receiving it many, many days ago on my back patio. Doors opening up the opportunity to leave my place of birth. There is an open window that was hella scary to step away from a religion and a tribe that I was taught that I belonged to, but was fully never supported in. I was asked to trust, to cleave into my husband and find stability and refuge somewhere else. Just, our, just like our sweet little Nephi guy. I know the scriptures and the stories to be true, many of them having new insight and meaning to me now, but to be honest, I wouldn't have agreed to change my stars any other way. Stay frosty, friend. Much love. A done. Thank you. Absolutely. So... Early on in that piece, you say, as a youth in the church, I was taught to marvel the wonders of the world God created and yet was taught to limit and ignore one of the most sacred and masterfully crafted creations, me. I want to talk for a minute about how that happened, what happened there, because so for those who have not grown up in the Mormon church, there is a huge push. It's in primary songs. It is in every other lesson. And that is this concept that we are children of God, that we are actual, 
you know, there's a song that in primary that says, I am a child of God and kids sing it over and over and over again. And so I think that that's something that the Mormon church claims pretty heavily is like, no, we do believe right in the divinity of the soul and in the individual and, and look like we teach you from the time you can walk, how special and magnificent you are. Like you are a child of God. And I completely understand what you're saying, uh, but I would like to hear your experience of like, where did that disconnect happen? Right? So you have, you're, you're being taught like, no, Ashley, like you're a child of God. Um, but you walked away feeling like, like you weren't taught to appreciate the magnificence of you and that you weren't taught or able to explore the individual magnificence of you, which you reference a few times in that, in that blog post of yours. So if you could walk us through like your experiences and how that happened for you and what specific things created that in you, I would, I would love it. I think a lot of people will be able to see themselves in in that. Well, like you mentioned, the primary songs, those were very influential in my early childhood. They were important to me because those are the were the messages that I clung to. You know, uh, I am like a star shining brightly, shining for the whole world to see. I can do and say every, or I can do and say happy things each day before I know Heavenly Father loves yes. me. Uh-huh. And it's songs like that, right, where they were uplifting for me, and they were. Um, they, they made me feel happy. Uh, same with the hymns. Um, we have beautiful hymns. That was something that I always looked forward to going to church for was, was the music. And as I would leave sacrament, well, even like after in sacrament meeting, it's just like, I don't know. There was sometimes where the air just got stuffed down by somebody's talk, you know, of, I don't know. It, to me, it just sounded like ego. And you get into the classrooms, and like we have talked about in previous um, interviews, <laughs> previous, recordings. previous recordings that none of you have access to. <laughs> none so of you sorry. heard them. <laughs> but the monotony of the dialogue, the repetition of the lessons, just over and over again and again. And there was not a lot of deviation from the script, right? You just get to read what's in front of you and, you know, good job on your calling because you can read a paragraph out loud or you can call someone else to read the paragraph out loud. And to me, I'm like, well, like, is is this it? Is this everything that we are going to experience and know and learn is the same whatever, how many lessons we have on the Mm -hmm. 12 different subjects or whatnot? Like, it just got it just got really old and boring. And I'm like, like I could, I already knew like at age eight, I'm like, um, I'm really bored here. I'm really not learning anything. I'm not expanding. I feel like nothing is going to change. And there was one day, one Sunday morning where, you know, it was early morning, nine o'clock church. Um, and we lived a block away from our church. And so we always just walked, whether it was, you know, 90 degrees outside or 10 degrees outside, because in Rexburg, it's the weather there is so extreme there sometimes. And 
there was one day I just didn't want to go. And I was throwing a huge fit about it. And my mom was getting very upset and very frustrated with me because I've never not wanted to go. Like I've always just obliged and said, yes, okay, fine. Let's, you know, that's just what you do. But there, there's one day that I just, I just couldn't do it. And I was just like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And, you know, the guilt trip was put on me. And, you know, after everybody had left, I kind of sat there stewing in my room. And part of me felt good for standing up for myself. And the other part was just torn with guilt. And I felt like I was letting my family down. I felt like I was letting God down because I wasn't faithful enough to just have the faith that once I get to church, everything will be fine. And, you know, that, that's, that, that broke me right then and there. It's just like, oh, I will continue to feel this if I keep rebelling. I will continue mm. to feel this guilt. I will continue to feel this shame of going against what I was taught was right. Because, I mean, nobody even questioned not going to church. Like, especially if you have to uphold an image in that small town of ours. Like, if, you know, you know, if you miss more than a couple Sundays in a row, like, people started to talk. People started to, you know you know, get curious about what's going on. And, you know, I, I'd observed that as a kid. I wasn't stupid. I, I knew what the adults were talking about. I, I could hear, I could hear the whisperings. I could hear the gossip. And amazingly, I knew right then and there, like, that's just, like I said, I have to do. So I ended up with my butt on that bench and my mom looked happy and proud. And I knew that my heavenly father was must have been proud because my mom was proud and that was you know like a physical manifestation of him it must be and so I just sat there just feeling a little less of me a little less mm. vibrant a little less shiny and like I had that passage in there let your light so shine I'm like that to me was a contradiction because I know I'm supposed to feel happy and light but I don't feel that way. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. So much good stuff. Okay, I'm literally glad we went to take three because, um, guys, this is... she she hasn't said any of this before, and this is amazing. And I'm like, you made yes! me dig deep, Debrie. You oh, made me dig yes. deep. <laughs> Y'all are welcome. Y'all are welcome. Um, hold on, I'm taking. I'm over here scribbling everything that she said down so I can ask a couple of questions because it's so good. Um contradiction okay oh so everything 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 okay so I love the connection that you made and I thought it was really profound because people will say all of the time right so let's let's look at the example of like well I told my mom no as an eight-year-old and my mom got mad at me and so I felt bad and then I went to church and people are like well yeah. Why is that a problem? Right. You're eight. Like you need to do it is told blah, blah, blah. So what? Like we all have experiences at age eight where we have to do things we don't want to. But what you did, um, what you explained was like, no, this was significant in your life because in that moment it wasn't just, I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Fine. What happened was the realization of like, oh, if I people please, if I conform, if I act like everyone else, I will not have to carry the guilt 
and the shame and this ugliness that I'm feeling. And so I am going to shut all of that down. I'm going to start shutting down my own desires. I'm going to start shutting down the truth of myself because this feeling of guilt for being who I am is too much to carry. Yes? Mm -hmm. Yes, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely on all of that. Yeah. And I think that that's so relatable to so many people. Like my issues were different. Um, and part of it's just the difference in, you know, personality, the difference in parents, all of these things. But like, I constantly felt guilt and shame for being who I am. And this, it's a very, very real thing. And when you talk about limiting and ignoring a sacred and masterful creation yourself, right? When you talk about that, that is something I really want everyone to hear because we have been taught so much that like these little things about us, whether they be an interest in, you know, like talking to trees as a child or a child who is very opinionated and thoughtful and loud, <clears throat> myself, um, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is that that is to be honored because it is a masterful creation and not something that is to be squashed. Because for you, that carried with you for a really long time. Really, really, really long time. And I feel like constantly, all of the time, I'm unveiling another layer of depth towards, you know, who I feel like I was when I was a child. Like I still have like a lot of work to do. Yes. So I have a question. Not to be like over, you know, (laughs) pressured with it, but you know, like that's the fun of this life is to discover who we are at our core. Right. Like what are the possibilities? What are our, like, what can we do? Yes. And can I just say, I had heard so many times in church, the scriptures of like, you know, be like a little child, right? Yes. And it actually, it always bothered me, frankly, because what they meant in that way is actually what you just described as your bad experience, right? Like, be like a little child, easy to be led, like easy to be like turned over to this other way. Like, conform, obey, just go along with it. And there was something in me that I think always knew there was a problem there, even though I couldn't articulate at that point what it was. But now as I've gone into a different way of thinking, I'm like, there is actually a lot of truth and be like a little child. It's just defined differently, right? Like there's a whole different perspective. Yes. That that is so enlightening. Right. And and like what you're saying, like, I need to go back to f- who was that child? Who mm-hmm. was she? Because she was excited about life and excited about learning and growing and being who she was before. She was, light. She was happy. She was carefree. She was free. Right. Right. And so it's been really kind of amazing for me to like set that down and then pick it back up with a new way of looking at it and being like, oh, this works over here too. And it works way better. Like I really it's like way this. Funner. <laughs> and yes. it's it's less, like you said, conforming. It's less 
authoritative and controlling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you are currently in this process of, yeah, having to go clear back to before that moment and be like, who am I? Who am I? Which is fun and exciting. But my question is, have you experienced, because I know I have, anger around this process? Um, a rage. Yes. Rage, anger, like all the really deep, dark, ugly feelings that nobody really talks about. And, you know, like I had to get over the shame and even feeling that too, because it's like, I have to get out how I feel or else I'm going to go nuts. Uh I'm going to go nuts. And then where will I be? Right. Well, and honestly, here's the thing. This is... This is where I've landed on the anger, and this may continue to morph. When I was in the church, I felt, I mean, the way I'd been taught to feel about angry women, right? Like, oh, like, it's they're just so angry when they leave the church. Like, they're so scary. <laughs> like, Stay away from so, them. They're so Don't scary. talk to them. <laughs> exactly. But also, there's this really, I mean, I say brilliant in like a sick, brilliant kind of way. There's this brilliant narrative that's dropped when you're in church of like, see, Anger means unhappiness, mm-hmm. right? So because yes. they're anger, that means they're unhappy. And they're unhappy because why? They're because sinning. they're not in the church anymore, right? They're, and they're sinning. sinning and they're going against God's word. And yeah. So when I left, I really honestly had this like, oh, okay, I need to not be angry because I don't want to be that person, right? That version of myself that I was so scared of. But what I've realized is there's, there's a very big difference between feeling anger around issues that are completely appropriate and that you need to process, you need to feel it, you need to accept it, you need to honor it in order to be able to like then release it, right? Versus when you don't do the work, when you don't resolve the issues, when you don't actually look back and be like, hey, what's going on? Like, what have I lost? then you kind of just function in this perpetual state of anger where you are just, you are genuinely unhappy. Like everything sucks. Everything's awful. And that is a, that's not a great anger. Right. But that's, that's to me, that's been hell is to be in that constant cycle of hurt and resentment and anger and ill will. Right. And so I, I think that we, as, as, religious women and we as just women in general get stuck a little bit in that of like well you know I shouldn't feel anger because it's bad it's like no 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 feeling anger isn't bad at all feeling anger is really really necessary the refusal to look at anything and resolve anything that creates a 24 hour a day state of anger yeah that's not healthy for you nor anyone around you And they are just very different. Like we can be very angry about causes and about harm that people have caused. And that is exactly correct. So I just want to say that, that the, the processing of the anger that you've been working on is perfect and beautiful and necessary. And I'm glad that you, I'm glad you're doing that work because it is, it's hard. It is work. Like, um, and I've, I've, I've learned, I'm learning to kind of mold it into play too. So it's not always such a, oh, I've got to go do more healing work. Oh, I've got to go do more shadow work. Instead, I've been learning to like 
use it as a positive to get um you know just a higher vibe higher momentum of like wanting to do it. it's just like oh this came up today okay cool like what can we learn from this and it sounds super cheesy and um it may be but it works for me is turning that into you know how how can i alchemize this how can i transmute this in a way that is going to benefit me instead of keep the hurt and keep me down Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. I love it. It is about attitude for sure. And I love how you're approaching that. Yeah. Well, it's taken years, like a lot of adult years to understand that. Right. Oh, thank you. So when you said that you said the scripture, let your light so shine before men uh, that you quoted in your blog, you recognized it as a contradiction because you said my light wasn't able to shine, right? Because I had set all of me down because I didn't want to upset people and I didn't want to feel guilt and I didn't want to feel like God was disappointed in me. So I set it all down and then I'm being told, let your light shine. Did you recognize that as a contradiction before you started to walk away from the church or was it afterwards that you started to see that? I mean, I'm more likely to say that it was more of, uh, hindsight that I saw that in that um, I, I felt like I didn't have the words I don't have the vocabulary the vocabulary or the understanding of what it was that I was feeling because my scope of feeling was very limited just because as a highly sensitive person as an empath I took on a lot of energies very early on that were very heavy and scary and I didn't know what to do with those and so like if I could eliminate the feeling and just kind of become numb then it didn't hurt and Mm -hmm. so and again that's been a lot of years to be able to lift that and move through a lot of that but I mean to understand that on a subconscious level as a five-year-old that's to me it's very heavy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can remember times of being very light and very happy and they were that's when I was outside. That's when I was playing in the canal and the ditches and in the grass and running around and that to me that felt good. That felt like being connected to God. And that mm-hmm. made sense to me. And again, I didn't have the words for it. I just knew it cuz I felt it and I think that's what helped you know, get me through a lot of years. Um, Mm -hmm. Same with music. Um, But now looking back, it's totally been like more ahas, like, oh, okay, I understand that feeling now. I understand where that came from now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I think what you said makes so much sense because I know for me, like there were a lot of years, well, I mean, we'll just say most of my life years, right? Where I would react to things poorly. Like I would hear things being taught and I would feel this either resistance or this, yeah, sense of wrongness, mm-hmm. but you can't put words around it because in order to put words around these things that were bothering you, it requires you to actually look in the face, all of the things that you've been ignoring in order to hold on to your faith. Yes. Right. And so, of course, we can't. And then it's for me. So you went numb, like you just shut everything down and kind of and I don't want to put words in your mouth. 
yeah, you built walls, you went numb and kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds to me like from the times we've talked before, like you came, became kind of like a little bit of an Ottoman. Like it was like, okay, I do this thing and then I go do this thing and it doesn't matter what I want or feel like we just keep doing the things in the way that we're supposed to be doing them. Would you say that's accurate or Absolutely. a little bit of like an overreach? It, well, it became like a checklist for me. Like, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? Okay. That equates to that, you know, it's A plus B equals C kind of a thing. Like that to me was kind of like an equation. And when the results that I was promised weren't feeling equal to what I was feeling, I was like, um, I'm doing something wrong. I must be doing something wrong. What Mm. am I doing wrong? Mm. So this is a common theme. And this is actually, we just talked about this on the other Ashley's one that we recorded yesterday. The other Ashley. Yep. Yes, I know. So, and I'm and my sister's named Ashley. I've I have Ashleys everywhere. Um, so Ashleys are everywhere. They are. <laughs> They're inescapable. Um, when you so, find one, you find like three. It's so true. As I hold I, up two fingers. Oh my yeah, gosh. I have, I, there are several <laughs> names that I have to always do first and last name because my husband's like, "Who are we talking about?" I'm like, "All oh, right, right." Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. See, now, oh, shoot, last night. See, this is why. Just keep the sarcasm in check, Debrig, and then you keep your thought. <laughs> you, you know what you're going to say next. Um, let's see. It was the Ottoman and then the checklist, and then you just said something that I wanted to address because it was really perfect. Oh, promised results. Yes. Um, the fact that we've been taught, like, yes, you are, you be good, right? So like you show up at church, you do the things you're supposed to do. For you, there was a lot of family pressure too, because you have a long line of history of of, yes. of families in the church. Um, so, you know, we've got to keep the family name and blah, 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 all this stuff. And if you do that, you will get all of the above things, it's right? The if then principle that they yes. teach in seminary. If so, walk walk the yes. listeners through what Ooh. you mean. So, I think you, you just hit hit something right there when you when you started with if you do this, then you will get this. Mm-hmm. Because I remember distinctly because I was not a fan of seminary. I'll be the first to say that I thought it was yeah. Well, like, why the, do we have to do more church? <laughs> I do church me, on Sundays. I'm going to explain seminary really fast for the non-Mormon people because it's very different in the Christian world. So seminary is not where you go to study to be a preacher or a a worship leader. Seminary in the Mormon church is for the youth, um, kids from age ninth grade to 12th grade. If you are in a high Mormon area, you are lucky enough and cursed enough to have that be a elective you can take in your high school. There's a little mini church building right next to uh, the campus most of the time. And mm-hmm. so you would leave math class, walk across the street and go to another hour of basically church. And then you would walk back and go to, you know, science class. Um, for kids who are not in a high Mormon area, it's early morning seminary. So they get up at like blasted five in the morning and go to seminary for an hour before they go to uh, school. Okay. So yes. Yeah, so yeah, just very, very different definition of seminary in the Mormon mm-hmm. world. Okay. So you weren't a fan of seminary because it was another hour of church. Continue please. Yeah. And so, um, I felt like I didn't jive with a lot of the seminary teachers, even starting in junior high, which to me was shocking. And I feel like that's where I started to like, feel like that little rebellious streak in me where we would go to Brolum's next door 
and you know go get um froyo instead of seminary (laughs) but there was i don't even remember which seminary teacher this was but he laid it really hard on the if and then um principle like if you do this then and you know we had to highlight all the things in the scriptures you know that said you know if you do this you're gonna be Uh. eternally blessed and so, like, that was ingrained in my mind. And I don't necessarily believe it, but in the, but it's just, it was just there all the time. Like, so I'm like, well, then it has to work because, you know, brother so-and-so said it was going to work. And that's where I really, like, that's where the polarization, polarization really started to, like, tear at me because I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't know what the fuck is going on because I'm like, I feel this way and I don't think I'm supposed to feel this way, but it feels like there's a pull there. There's something that is pulling Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. away from feeling like this is correct, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like this is truth. And so, I mean, really early on, I had a very clear understanding of what was truth and what was not truth. I had that discernment, Mm -hmm. but after so long and so many years, it got, you know, just like my personality, I feel like it got stuffed down. It got quieted Mm -hmm. and it just Mm -hmm. kept getting quieter and quieter until it was just like, okay, this is just what I feel. I just feel uncomfortable. I feel uncomfortable with this and I'm just going to feel this. And, Mm. and I think it was my soul like saying, no, 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 no. You listen to your gut. Your gut is right. But mm-hmm. like again, as as a young kid, whether I was eight or eighteen, I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah. Like yeah. really, what are my options? Yeah. Because okay, I already so, can't just stay home from church because I know that's bad. I can't do that. Can't do that. Right. So I'm going to tie up two things. So the if then thing is, um, yeah, like if you're like a really if, really stupid example that should never be given. Um, is so missionaries. So those, these young boys that go out on a mission and girls, uh, you are told, and I know cause I was one, you are told if you go on a mission that you will be blessed with an eternal family. Like you will come home, you will find your eternal companion to take to the temple. You will have children, which is an asinine thing to promise anyone because that does not always happen. Crazy. And so, yeah. And so what happens is exactly what you were describing, which is, what did I do wrong? Why didn't I get this thing that I was promised? It must be because there's something wrong with me because I'm bad, because I'm unworthy. I need to try harder in order to be worthy in order to get this thing that I was promised. Um, And that happens, I think in almost every religion I can think of that's high demand at all. Um, And that does lead to a lot of feelings of unworthiness and, and being unacceptable in some way. Uh, so I just wanted to wrap that up. And then you mentioned discernment. And for me, this is actually a really hot topic that I have been wanting to talk about because I do feel like religion intentionally silences intuition. Um, yeah. And that's what your reference, that. because, and listen, the reason that I say <laughs> intentional is not because I'm saying that that everyone in church has horrible intentions. I'm saying it's intentional because you cannot have a congregation, a large group of any size and say, everyone just listen to your intuition and do what you want and have that go well for you. Like that isn't going to work when you're trying to create 
a group mind, right? When you're trying to create yes. group behavioral systems, like the intuition has to be silenced in order for that to work. So I just want to be clear. That's what I'm saying here. But for you, um, you were having all of these pings going off of like, something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, which I also was having, but you shut those down because you weren't supposed to feel like that. And you knew that. And it was, I mean, was it like scary to you or did it just make you feel like a horrible person? I think I had both. (laughs) I feel definitely feel both. Um, There was always at the bottom of it, like at the very pit of my stomach, I always, like I knew what was true. I knew it. And I just now feel sad that I had to feel that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I felt sad that I felt so so controlled by an unseen, invisible hand that Mm -hmm. I couldn't even be true to myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, and one other thing I want to mention around that, because I think it ties it back into what you just said there, is you mentioned really briefly um, that one of the other things that kept you in your place was the gossip and the like knowing what people said about people if they didn't conform, basically. And that really, if we boil this all the way down, it's this human need for tribes, right? Like we knew from history that if we didn't conform, we would be kicked out of the tribe. If we were kicked out of the tribe, we died. So we have a very survival instinct-based need for conformity. So as a child, for you to be aware of the gossiping and the rumors and the like, oh, so-and-so didn't come to church, it's probably because, or I guess a better example is like, did you see Johnny didn't take the sacrament? Like I bet him and his girlfriend went way too far. Yeah. And I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I mean, like, I, it's not that I was like, you know, had eagle eyes at everybody in sacrament meeting. It's just like, I would just, you know, be looking around and notice. I'm like, oh, they didn't take it. But then it's just like, am I supposed to feel something bad? Because I'm like, I don't feel like they're doing anything bad or wrong. And so like, and again, it's just, I was so confused because I'm like, well, that's bad, but I don't get that vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, yeah don't have the words for it, don't have the vocabulary for what yeah. that is. Or what. So it's just like, I'm really confused. I'm like, is that wrong? Is that not wrong? And so I was always second guessing myself and like, mm. uh, <laughs> how am I supposed to feel about that? And then again, it was taking that, you know, away from me. Like I was, you know, projecting onto mm-hmm. who, who mm. that was. And gosh dang it, that knowing what I know now about energy, it's just like, dang, that poor person like got flinged with so much shit. Right. It, right. It probably wasn't even anything that anybody even imagined anyway. Like they just made it up in their head. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So so that would have been just one more wall of the box, right? Of like I can't do anything because I'm going to feel guilty. I can't feel anything because people are going to judge me. And then I risk rejection. And that sounds like very scary. I also don't have words around what I'm even feeling. I can't look at what I'm feeling. And so, yeah, you just went numb. You just shut everything down. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm seriously, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we are getting into all this. This is so good. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. Next section in your, in your blog post. 
So you said, we're taught to limit how marvelous we are as individuals, uh, which is not one of Christ's teachings, by the way, because Jesus walked on water, he turned water into wine, defeated death via the Romans multiple times, fed the masses, etc. We're taught to be like him, but what do we really know about the man, the myth, the legend of Jesus? So I really actually like this because I think this is really, really deep. And we move off of this really rapidly in your blog post because it's a blog post and not a novel, right? Um, Nobody wants to read for, I mean, <laughs> I, I do, just not a blog. That, but maybe for a book. <laughs> right. So what you're saying here, though, is that if we actually follow Jesus's example, like if we really were like, okay, let's look at not the scriptures that we've been handed, not the the verses that we've heard over and over again. If we actually looked at who he was, what he did, the way that he behaved, the way that he talked to people, the way that he approached situations that were unpleasant, that we would not be behaving in the same way that we had been taught to behave. Because, right. you know, we we don't really sit and marinate on the example that he went to go visit and heal the lepers. I mean, what did they do with the lepers? They quarantined them aside from everybody else, right? They put them in a different part of the city or they, you know, got shoved on an island or like they kept them very far away from everybody because you know, that scared people. Like, your skin is falling off. I don't want that. They turned the other cheek and went the other way and then give two shits about them. Mm-hmm. What did he do? He went in there to min- not, not necessarily minister them, but to just give them love, give them hope, give them just any ounce of feeling light and more, most importantly, feeling loved, feeling like they mattered, mm-hmm. feeling like somebody cares about them. Mm-hmm. That's not spoken about. That's we don't so, talk about the compassion, like so at a people, really deep level. Yeah. So I'm going to say that any religious person would argue with you right now. So I'm going to argue with you f- because I want you to give me the answer I know is in there. Ah, because I know, I know it's in there somewhere. So of course, like yes, we're taught to love one another. We're taught to minister to the sick. We go help people out when they're struggling. We bring them meals and. I will say as a person that when someone eh, most of the time brings me a meal, it's out of care and love, right? Like there's a certain amount of obligation, but they're, they're good people. They're trying hard. Um, so what, what's the difference? Where, where do you feel like it was lacking, um, from that teaching, which is, I would I would say it's heavier in the Mormon church than it is in a lot of churches as far mm-hmm, as the mm-hmm. service orientation um, to what you wish you would have been taught. Ooh. And I love this. I love that you're bringing this up because, yes, there are some very beautiful, kind, compassionate people in the church. And I've gotten to know some that are just they're wonderful. And that works. The of the system and you know the construct of the church that works for them because they understand they have a deeper level of understanding than I did and maybe what I do now but that was something that was innate with them for mm. me I don't know if it was something that was innate with me but I that was the part of me that got shot off because I remember feeling a complete disconnect when I felt like I was obligated to go do something, mm-hmm. to go serve. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there were times where I did do acts of service out of care and love. I remember uh, we lived next to an older couple. And one of the things that I loved doing, like I mentioned before, was being outside. And I was walking past their house one day and I noticed that their driveway hadn't been shoveled, right? And I knew it was the right thing to do to go do that. Um, And I also, you know, my first instinct, I think, was genuine. But then the second, you know, instinct that came in was like, oh, this is this is going to give me, you know, brownie points in heaven and Mm. God's going to see this. And, you know, my ego totally snuck in and, um, you know, for the most part took over because, you know, that's it's a very powerful driving force, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, um, I I like to work. I like working with my hands. I like moving my body. And at the end, like I did feel really good. Um, I did have that warm fuzzy feeling that we were told. And I do feel like that's because the initial response to seeing their driveway covered in snow was to be of service to them out of you know compassionate and loving. Um, level and afterwards I was like okay well then now what do I get you know Mm -hmm. and they did they did they were very sweet they did give me a box of ice cream bars like (laughs) they gave me the whole box Mm -hmm. and I was just like oh like that that was nice that would and and I think that small little instance had I clung to that instead of all of the stupid service projects that we were obligated to do like I think that I would have turned out to be a more innately compassionate person as far as like, you know, coming from that blocked space. But I continue to focus on the negative for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference is where you're putting your perspective, where, Mm -hmm. what is it looking at? Is it looking, you know, at a microscopic level or is it at a macro level? Right. That is so like the obligation I completely relate to. Like I, I personally, yeah, started getting a lot of resentment around service because it it is obligatory in the Mormon church. Like it's not just, we stand at the pulpit and we say, you should do good things for your neighbors. It is, here's a sign up list for this. How's the sign up list for this? Also for mm-hmm. these things, you're going to visit so-and-so. We're going to call you and make sure you did it so that you have to yes. report that it was done. Like the obligation is, is heavy and I didn't react well to that, but I liked, I actually haven't heard anyone phrase this like this before. And I think that we should look at it a little bit more when you said, I feel like those people who did really, really well with those teachings that it's innate within them Um, Mm -hmm. because it actually ties into something that I had noticed um, within myself. So I'm going to share this story and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I got to the point with the service stuff that I just stopped participating. (laughs) Like (laughs) I refused to sign up. Like if a sign up list came around, I just handed it on. Um, I, oh yeah. Like the visiting teaching, which is again, this is the assignment once a month, you go visit other women, you get called to make sure you did it. Uh, I mean, it was like panic attack inducing. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. Like I can't do this anymore. Um, 
And I felt bad because, yeah, I'm like, so I can't do service. Like, what does that say about me as a person? Right. You're like, horrible, what is this? Like, I'm a horrible You're human so being. Bad. I agree. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I was a horrible excuse for a human being. Like, I can't even go deliver cookies to this. I just, I couldn't do it. And it became, it was so, there was so much resentment in me. And I was so tired for all of the other reasons that it was a matter of survival when I finally cut it off. Like, I was like, I, I have something has to go. Fast forward to leaving, right? And I start spending years healing and, and rewriting narratives and, and finding who I actually am and what's important. And all of a sudden, I discovered that I had an enormous bandwidth for service, way more than I ever had mm-hmm. when I was in the church. One, because it wasn't obligatory. I could choose when to do it. And that mm-hmm. is a hot point for me. I don't handle obligation well as a general rule. So I'll just put that out, out there. But in addition to that, what I realized is I was like, oh my God, I, I need to serve in the way that I was born to serve. I am innately good at doing what we're doing right here. I am innately good at talking to people, at helping them work through problems, at being like, hey, did you look over here? Because actually what I think you're saying is this. I'm innately good at sensing patterns in human behavior, which then helps me be good at talking to people. And so all of a sudden I had service hours and capacity in the way that I was good at instead of the way that I was being told to be good at. And I think that this is something that is really important because we it's all so have different beautiful. gifts. Thank that's, you. And that's where my, that's exactly my point is if I were to do what you are doing, I don't, I don't have that gift. Could I develop it? Sure. Absolutely. But it's not something that I'm interested in mm-hmm. as much as other things. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to ask me to do what you do, that's kind of ridiculous right yeah and and, and we all need felt. different things right we all like, do yes. yeah like okay so listeners before we got on Ashley and I were talking and she was like hey can you give me some writing tips and I was like sure I can help you out with that and then I mentioned my disastrous pantry and she was like hey I'm really super good at figuring out what's not working like design wise and like functionality so if you want me to help you out I'm happy to look and figure out what's causing the problem and how to solve this. Right. So these are both really good service opportunities. Like we can help each other in the ways that we specialize in, as opposed to being taught that service in the church looks like this, right? Like we bring Mm -hmm. cookies, we're being a casserole. We watch your kids, we clean your floors, um, whatever. Whereas what I actually needed, I didn't need cookies. Like I didn't need that. Like it was nice. I'm going to smile and say, thank you. I'm going to be happy that they thought of me. I'm not saying it's not valuable. It is valuable. But what if we had, you know, Sally Joe baked cookies and Susie was the counselor and like Joanne, you know what what I'm saying here? Like if we actually looked at what's innate within people and valued that, that it would eliminate some of the feelings of, I'm not good enough. Why can't I do this? Why can't I just freaking bake a batch of cookies? Because that's what God wants me to do. I'm a horrible person syndrome. I think it would, I think it would help. 
I mean, and, and even that, and there are women that are so good at this. They just innately know what people need. They see something and that those are the visiting teachers that people just like clung to. Right. Mm -hmm. That's what that's became a support system. And I feel like with me, like, because I had my walls up, nobody got the opportunity to really, I didn't let them in because first of all, I didn't, I wasn't able to trust anybody enough with my, my, Mm. my sweet tender feelings, you know, and unless they, they, you know, took the time and held the space for me to be able to, you know, tell my story instead of just assuming, oh, she's fine. She's coming to church. She's doing, she's doing everything she needs to do. She's fine. Right. Instead of really getting to know me, instead of asking me questions, instead of, you know, yeah. did you read the latest lesson? No, I didn't. Oh, well, here's a little clip about it. You know, and like, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. sweet I'm whatever and so and that I never felt like nobody ever really wanted to truly get you know to know me because they were there to narc off a box they weren't mm-hmm. here to get to know me and right. at that I'm just like why are you here you're wasting my time you're wasting yeah. your time get out I don't want you here and that's kind of that I mean same with you like I got out of the habit of like letting people in and even coming over because I was just like and they assigned me people that were kind of flighty too so I'm like okay it works for everybody yeah exactly so, everybody's happy I saw, you. I saw you in the hall that counts that counts <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I also I mean, made... people I can totally do that with and be like cool and other people I'm just like ew <laughs> like, yeah it's hard it's a hard situation it's a hard situation when you're assigned someone to care. Yeah, it it yeah, I hear you. Okay. I want to talk about I mean I'm going to ask you to really lean in. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Okay. <laughs> um okay, you said heaven is not a place where you end up when you die, nor is hell. Hell, I've spent quite a lot of time in, and like it's implied, it's not a lovely place to spend your life. What is your personal hell? I can tell you to start off the first time that I ha- experienced a panic attack, like a full on panic attack, it was at church. It was spring and it was state conference. And I I remember feeling inside the building just very claustrophobic and very, um, my chest was tight and I couldn't breathe. And so I went outside so I could at least feel some sunshine on me. And that, that did help, but it, I just sunk. I feel like at that moment I just sunk. And that was really hard because, um, that was after my first miscarriage. Um, I had a lot of, I felt like I had a lot of pressure on me because Brent and I decided to wait five years to have kids. Um, and that was a whole nother little hardship because that's out of the norm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we had lost, um, that pregnancy and I, um, I was just newly pregnant with um, my first Everly. 
at that time. And so for me, like, hell became like this, you know, deep hole that I felt like I had to overcome in order for her to not come into this world feeling like I do. Um, I felt horrible for the fact that she was even inside of me feeling what I feel. And it's just like the deepest, darkest, most alone feeling that you can feel. And I feel like those that have depression or have experienced depression or um, on the flip side, anxiety, like that is one of the hardest challenges to overcome feeling like you don't matter, feeling like anything that you do is worthless to feel that it would be better if you didn't exist. That is a very, very low place. And I've experienced that. I I experienced that at a very young age, um, unfortunately, and fortunately nothing um, came out of it, but I I've felt what people have felt when they're in their darkest. Um, and not only have I felt my stuff, but I felt other people's. And for me, I, the thing, the drive that's kept me going is not wanting others to feel that depth of anguish because it is so, like I stated in my bio, like it's, it is debilitating. It's traumatizing. It's, feeling that you don't have any worth like to me there's nothing worse in the world to feel yeah yeah as someone who understands completely yeah because depression unfortunately is something that you cannot understand until you have experienced it because otherwise the only point of reference you have is sadness which is not even on the same planet it is not on the same planet. <laughs> it is it like is, a, it's, it's not comparable. And a lot of people don't understand that. And yeah. I know that my husband had a really hard time grasping the level and the depth of that sadness. Because I'm like, yeah, you feel sad when your balloon pops. You feel sad when your ice cream falls on the floor. I was sad just for existing and yeah. not even being able to move from my bed and you know, and I think that's where a lot of guilt came into too, because I'm like, oh, I'm not doing my, my wifely duties. I'm not doing my um, responsibilities as a mother. I'm not doing this well. And then I kept getting harder and harder and harder on myself. I'm like, you're not doing this. This isn't getting you done. Mm-hmm. You know, your house isn't perfection. Mm-hmm. You don't look like perfection. You're not, you're not eating like you should. You're not working out like you should. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. And then it's just, and, you know, hearing that too at church, you know, subliminally, like you are not enough. You are not enough. You are not enough. You need to try harder. You're not reading your scriptures. You're not. You're not doing all these things. And it's just like I can't. I don't know how. I don't have support. You know. And then there's where the lack loop comes into play, and it's a it's a really tricky one to bust. Yeah. So I wanted it's to ask really you, and yeah, I wanted to ask you, and you've you you hit on it. So I just want to have you, um, if you want to add anything, if there isn't anything to add, that's totally fine. Um, so depression is something that is not, uh, you know, a respecter of character, right? Like depression can hit anyone for any reason and it can be chemical. It can be, you know, situational, like, like there's so many different ways that depression can, can work in a person's life. 
so for you, there may be other things, right? Like you lost a baby and then you had pregnancy hormones. I mean, good Lord. Like obviously there were things going on in your body that would have uh, predetermined you to, to feel these feelings and to experience depression and anxiety attacks. However, I was going to ask you if you felt that your belief system as a Mormon deepened that or made that worse. And you did start to reference it where like, cause you said I wasn't perfect and I didn't, I, I couldn't be perfect. And I, you know, was feeling it, all of these things for me, I definitely, I don't even think that was a subconscious teaching. Like that isn't something that you have to subconsciously pick up. Like that was something that I, it was, it was loud and clear for me in words, but for you, do you feel like that contributed, that it made it worse in any way, or do you feel like it was just the the time, in, that particular time in your life? Both answers are obviously totally fine. Well, I, I feel it's it's a roller coaster for me um, because there were times that I felt completely uplifted and enlightened mm-hmm. with um, words that were spoken, and there were other times where I felt horrible and heathenish and awful and not like and and I'm not gonna lie they were mostly coming from the men Mm. the authorities um the uplifting um words the you know devotionals or lessons that I recall they were from women um very 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 few inspirational uplifting words ever came from a, a man's mouth on the pulpit Mm-hmm. whether or in the classroom yeah Thank and so you. as again I feel like as women we are to, we're always taught that we're less than um even it's it's even in the godhead there's no there's no femininity at all in the godhead mm-hmm. there's only me in my instance because then I have you know a patriarchy surrounding me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Although that's beautiful in its own essence, but it's not what I needed. I I needed more of that feminine aspect, that nurturing, that that compassion, that um, that feeling of feeling loved. Because yeah. we don't get that from a heavenly mother. Because we don't talk about her. We don't talk about it from either of the Marys who mm-hmm. raised Jesus and um, was with Jesus. We don't talk about, we don't talk about them. Right. Right. Thank you. Okay. Speaking of mothers, we're going to move into, into that. And I'm going to, I'm going to preface this for the listeners. Um, I want Ashley to talk about something that's kind of a hard thing to talk about. And so I sent her a little note that was like, that I was like, I'm going to preface this so that you can talk freely. Um, I think that. There are, there are some of us, I'm definitely in this group that struggled with this idea of motherhood being the only reason that we exist, right? Like that's, that is our purpose. That is our point. And you, you reference this in your blog post because you're saying, you know, I spent most of my adult, um, adulthood undoing and unlearning all the things that they wanted me to feel connected to and associated with, um, a domesticated homely woman of God. 
the the sticky part here, and it's so hard because I I have done this myself. I have talked to so many other people who do this, and it's like the moment we say, "Well, I don't feel like I agreed with those teachings. I didn't want to be a mom. I didn't, um, you know, I wasn't able to pursue who I was because I was so busy being taught to be a mom that we immediately feel like we have to correct ourselves and be like, I mean, being a mom is great, and I love my kids, and and it's fine, and, it's fine. Yeah. and I think there are other people who make great moms, and and being a mom is a perfectly acceptable thing, and being a mom is great. Yes, 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 yes to all of the things, but mm-hmm. I think that it's really important to open a narrative that we all can start using <laughs> that says I can hold two things to be true at the same time. I can love my life. I can love my children. I can not regret having my kids, right? I can see the beauty of that. And I can also say, if I had not been raised as a Mormon woman and told that this is how I was supposed to be, this is how God wanted me to be, this is the only point and purpose, This and have every lesson related to you know, being a mother and being a wife and all of those things, that I maybe, based on who I am as a person, would have made different choices. I maybe would not have had kids. And that's okay to say because none of that discounts my love for my children and none of that discounts what you and I have already talked about, frankly, which is innate, right? Innateness Mm -hmm. within people. I know people who from the time they were this high wanted to be a mom. They weren't taught that. They weren't, they didn't have it shoved down their throat. Like they wanted to be a mom from the time they were four years old. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's amazing. And I think they should be honored. And when those of us who are like, Hey, I had a problem with this and it hurt me and I would have maybe made different choices. That is not saying that we think all people who have our mothers are brainwashed and foolish. And like, that is not, that is not what we're saying. This is Ashley sharing her experience around what she may not have resonated with. And it is not a statement on women or motherhood as a whole. So I wanted to lay that down so she could speak without feeling guilty and speak without having to add caveats every other sentence like I have done in the past. Thank you for laying that down because you said it really beautifully and I don't know if I could have eloquented that way in that way, but I would have liked to have been given a choice. Yeah. That's it. That's really all it comes down to. I feel that, I mean, I remember... Again, a seminary activity that we did or, you know, imagining or writing goals about what we want to accomplish or we want to happen in in five years, 10 years, 20 years. And I was just like struck dumb. And I was like, I don't know. I have no idea. I know I'm supposed to be a mom. I know I'm supposed to get married. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm supposed to do that. But to know what I want to do, I have no clue. And so, of course, I put mom on my sheet because I'm like, I know that's going to happen because that's it's kind of written in my <laughs> code right now. Right. But really, truly, honestly, to me, it comes down to just even one, just giving me a choice, Ashley, and an educated, you know, choice. You know, here's what your life would look like this way. Here's what your life would look like this way. You know, which which one? And of course, we we don't know, right? Mm-hmm. We're not given the magic crystal and like we get to choose that way um I know 
that I was supposed to have the children that I was supposed to have. And I know that I, that, you know, I was meant to have that choice. And because I grew up in the church, that's how I got there. Otherwise I, like you said, I don't think I would have had kids. Mm -hmm. Um, but since I feel like that was contracted to me and that was how they were to come about, I am, I still, I still struggle with that. I'm not going to lie. Um, I still curse it sometimes, but I am learning to be okay with it and learning to understand it better so that I can use that as a tool moving forward, not only for myself, but for my kids, because, and I've already told them this, um, even most recently, I'm like, cause my, my uh, daughter got confused. My seven-year-old, she was like, cause I was like, well, you, you're really good at organizing. Why don't you teach your little sister? how to do that. And she's like, well, I can't do that. I'm not a teacher. And I'm like, you, what, what, why do you say that? And she's like, well, I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't teach school. And, and that was her perception of what a teacher was. I'm like, honey, mm-hmm. I'm like, you got to understand there is no age to being a teacher. Like, mm-hmm. be, because you are who you are, you are a teacher to me in this way. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm, and so just teaching her, giving her some, um, expansion on that some enlightenment like there there are no rules when it comes to just limiting ourselves to that one word you know and that's why I have a hard time with labels sometimes because I'm like that you know so many people just slap a label and that's what it is and there's no really discussion further of what that perception really means Mm -hmm. and so to like and had people I had people around me that were had the depth had the words I, I would have maybe done things a lot differently, but it is what it is. And like I said, moving forward, um, we're here to make choices. And I believe that experiences give us the necessary, um, what's, what's a word? I think I need to back up as far as like explaining myself, but I feel like experiences give us the necessary means in order to make choices moving forward making um I I don't know it does am I making sense I feel like I'm (laughs) I think there's I think you have a lot of strong feelings around this topic which then always makes it hard because it's like you know we're hopping to a bunch of different things so I'm I'm tracking most of it so you you the choice thing I think is is huge and I want to hit on that again um but the the labels and the experience um See, try in your, in your, in your mind, how is that relating to, um, making choices differently or like being given a choice really? Like, how is that mm-hmm. tying in? Cause I know there's a tie. I'm just not picking it up. So I, I hear you and I hear you. And, and I think I, I think I, I know how to do it. And I, I think what I'm saying is. So often when we're placed in a bubble, such as the town that I grew up in, the words that are spoken, they stay the same. Their meanings don't change. Mm. And until there's Uh, some sort of outside um, factor, a different perception being injected into that there, there is a limitation on that word. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just like, what I meant when I was talking to my daughter about teacher, like you think of teacher, you think of somebody that teaches school to me, that's a much more expanded word because of 
all of the knowledge and experience that I've acquired over the mm-hmm. years. And so the things that, and like, I mean, it, it even goes back to the, even feeling the compassion for people. It's just, I was not taught any other way. Mm-hmm. That's just how it was. And to be introduced to something new and different, that's, that's what I desired. You mean like perhaps if we redefine the word woman to not equate to mother, yes. for example. Okay. Okay. Because that's yes. what, that's exactly what I think of as a, as, and I mean, early on, that's what I would have thought. Now it's yeah. different, right? Right. But, but it is connected. And there's actually a lot of women are starting to speak out who have struggled with infertility and the absolute destruction that that has done to them. Because how can you be a woman without being a mother when one word always equals the other? So I think you're very correct that that definition needs to change. Um, and I love your answer about, I wish I just would have been given a choice because that's really what it comes down to. It's not anti-children. It's not anti-reproductions. It's not, I hate no. it's, it's, I never had the opportunity to say, what do I want? And I never course, got asked what I want. Right. I never got asked what, I, well, what is it that you want? Like from... It's like the the exercise where you can um, ask yourself why six different times to get mm-hmm. deeper and deeper yes. and deeper to the meat and potatoes of it. Because I feel like I would have not, you know, I would have become somewhere completely different. But that's the beauty of where we're at right now is we get to choose where we want to direct our lives from this point mm-hmm. forward. We right. can still do those things. Right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Because now the gates have opened in my mind. They've never really been there in reality, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But now it is opened up and it's just like I really can do whatever I want. I yeah. do not have any limits. I, there are no rules holding me back. Right. So what next? What are you going to do? Right. And I can I just say that like, oh, I'm – Ah, my brain's exploding because there's two really cool ways I want to go, but but I'm going to forget both of them. So as far as the, the no limits thing, there was always this fear taught. And it, I mean, it's still being taught, obviously, in different religions of like, right, but without limits, right? Without limits, what will happen? The world will, it's anarchy and people will be murdering each other in the street and it will be horrible. <laughs> and it's like what I have found what I've actually found is that once I took the limits off, I was a better person than I was before because all of a sudden I'm in this place of self-love instead of self-hatred. And when I'm in a place of self-love, suddenly I am loving other people in a way that I was not capable of before. Does Taking off rules unleash the reality of a human being. Yeah, it does. But I think that most of the times that is actually better. This is not something to fear at all. Yeah. Oh, I remember the other thing. Oh, sorry. Did you want to respond? Okay. What I wanted to say about the fear is I had a person respond to a Facebook post that I recently put up about love and fear. I think it's what we fear the most is what we love the most, something along that lines. Mm -hmm. Um, And she responded, well, fear is good. Fear keeps us safe. Fear Mm. keeps us 
um, you know, doing what we're supposed to do, right? And like, I, I understand that. I understand where she's coming from. And she isn't wrong because that is her belief. And, and I do, I do respect that. But also coming from a different angle because of the things that I've experienced, because of the hell that I've gone through, I want to say that in the end, fear, well, fear can be a drive to overcome, right? Is something that we face in order to be comfortable enough with it, to sit with it long enough that it does turn into something different. Because, for example, you're afraid of spiders. Like, you're not going to want to hang out with the spider, right? Um, that was one of my experiences. I was at home alone, and I, I've always been afraid of spiders. They're, they're horrible and creepy creatures, or at least that's what I thought of the time. And <laughs> I, it was climbing on the wall, and it kept getting nearer and nearer, and I'm like, nobody's here to, to get it for me. Nobody's here to get the spider because I always had my husband do it. And I finally was just like, if you want to take care of that spider, you're going to have to do it yourself. And so – what did I do? I, I overcame my fear and I got rid of the spider. Well, now I'm just like, there's spiders that, is, you know, I let crawl on me just because I'm like, oh, okay, hi, you're there. And, you know, I'll just kind of scoot them off or something and let them go free. But I don't fear them anymore because that's it's nothing to be scared of. They're not mm-hmm. going <laughs> to bite me. They're not going to suck my blood. They're not. And that's that's my point, right? We fear things. We're taught to fear things. But why? Mm-hmm. What is it that is driving that fear? And I asked her, I'm like, is it something that, you know, your parents were afraid of that you accumulated over the years and that you took on as your own? And we do need to ask ourselves that. What, what is holding us back? What is that thing that we fear? And if we sat with it, what, what would that look like on the mm-hmm. other side? Mm-hmm. What if it is something that you actually love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what if you find yourself and what if that person was somebody that you've been desiring to love for so mm-hmm. long that only deepens, you know, not a deeper love within yourself, but a deeper love, you know, with those around you, bringing them closer to you. Like how beautiful of a thing to like have that kind of a connection. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. So you had said something that I really loved, but I wanted to add on to it too. So you said that, um, you know, as far as with the, with the being a mom and that you maybe would have made different choices and that now you, um, what you can do now is, is move forward from this point differently and, and understanding you have choice and you are limitless and, and all of these things. And I'm going to add, which I know, you know, you just didn't say it. I'm going to add like, and then here's where the, the beauty comes in too, is because that transformation, as you mentioned, you're already passing this on to your kids, right? And so you didn't have the choice, but you will be offering this to your kids, which means they will be offering this to their kids. And that is so needed. I Listen, I was talking to someone and they were talking about their son and they were so proud, um, which was beautiful. They love their, they loved him so much. And then they were like, but I like, I can't wait till he has grandbabies. And I'm already pressuring him about like who to marry. And like, we, I think it's time to give me grandbabies. Cause that's what we do. And I was like, oh yeah, 
I, I mean, I, you know, I understand wanting grandbabies. Like, that's why you have kids, right? So you have, like, cute little babies to cuddle that you can send home with mom. But, <laughs> but I said, I was like, I don't know. With my kids, I just, I think that they deserve to be autonomous humans. And that if they choose to not have children, that I'm going to accept that. Because, yeah, that, and I didn't say this, but I'm like, this is a choice. That, that wasn't a choice I was given, really. Like you said, that wasn't an option on the table. And mm-hmm. so, but she looked at me like I had three heads. Like it was like, <laughs> what? What do you mean? Like, no. <laughs> like, they, he will have grandbabies. <laughs> I will have eight yeah. grandbabies and they're all going to be, yeah. Yeah. Just to give That's your wild, children right? a choice is huge. Like give your That's kids wild. a choice. Mm-hmm. How wild is that? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've sure I felt that I, I love babies, like babies, like baby, baby, like newborns. That's my favorite stage. I agree. They're cute. And I would and have, I would have 10 million of them, you know, if I didn't have to, you know, continue to take care of them for the next 18 years. Uh-huh. However, I, like you said, I love the idea of them growing up in a world where they didn't have the limiting beliefs that I did, that they can just walk out the door and know what they want to do and know that they're going to be supported. They know that they're going to be loved no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go do it because by them doing that, that is only going to create a a more brilliant world because they're doing what they love. And when people are doing things that they love, it not only makes things better for the people around them, it makes it better for the planet. It makes it like, it's, it's a universal thing Mm -hmm. that it it just expands Yeah, and it's ever expanding. And that's why the universe is constantly expanding is because of the beauty that is constantly there. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, creation and destruction process but it Mm -hmm. is expanding yeah yeah i i will say and this is gonna be controversial wow i butchered that word anyway um i have been thinking about it for a little bit here of like do i actually want to say this because i'm gonna get i'm gonna get some shit for this (laughs) so please reference my previous caveat about this conversation before you come for me I think that for me, had I actually been given the choice and it felt like it was an option to honor myself in whatever way that was, whether it was like trying to pursue theater or becoming a lawyer or a dolphin trainer or any of the other six things I wanted to do when I was a kid, um, had I felt like, no, totally, like go do that thing as a woman, right? When the time came where I was like, I want a baby. Do I think that I would have been a better mother because of it? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Was I the best mother that I could have been? Yes. Did I try with everything that I had? Yes. Do I think that I need lots more money to raise kids? No, it's not about that. What it's about is when I would have decided to have kids, it would have been because I was ready and because I wanted them on a level besides it's time to have kids, right? It would have been exciting in a different way. It would have been 
there would have been a different level of preparedness there. And there would have been no, and this is where people are going to come for me. There would have been no resentment because did I have moments of resentment? Yeah, I did. Even with all my speech about like, we should be able to talk like this. There's still a level of shame there for me of like, I'm not allowed to say that. Like, I'm not allowed to say that there were moments where I was like, I should not have had children. And I felt anger about the fact that I didn't feel like I had a choice. Again, I love them dearly. That doesn't mean that I didn't have that there. And I feel like, would there have been, had I been prepared to have kids, would there have been moments where I was like, what did we do? We can't go anywhere. <laughs> like Our lives have shifted. Sure, I do. But the resentment wouldn't have been there because I made the choice of my own. Yeah, free will. There was no outside influence in there. So I, and I saw the reason I decided to tell the story, even though some people are going to think I'm an asshole and I'm a horrible person is because exactly what you're saying about the expansion. So we, we pass this on to our kids and we say, Hey, you have the choice, right? Like you can have kids whenever you want, or you cannot have kids. That's fine too. Whatever Mm -hmm. it is that you want to do, like all yours, baby, like you do it. Then when that time comes where they're like, I want kids so freaking bad and they have that first kid, what we're going to have is a generation of mothers who are so damn excited to have oh those little gosh. babies and Can there's you no resentment. the freaking excitement? Yes. Like, even feeding, like if you, even if you're like the grandma that it's feeding off that energy, like if that lady was excited to have grandkids, can you imagine like being able to feed off their kid who's just as excited or more to have kids? Like, it's, And that's that's the mm-hmm. whole purpose of having babies. That's mm-hmm. why babies make us so happy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the anticipation. It's the wonder. It's the joy, that renewal of birth. We love that. We yeah. love that creation yeah. process. Yeah. We love the result of that creation process. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so what we're not saying, everyone, is motherhood's the worst. We shouldn't have kids. What we're saying is we could make it so much better for everybody involved. Absolutely. <laughs> for the mother, why, for the why, baby. Why why can't we? Like, why can't we? Why, why and I was just talking to my sister about this t- this morning. Like, you know, why why aren't there systems that support us a little bit better, you know, that put a little bit more emphasis on rest and self-care and like what does that look like? you know, what, what are different forms of self-care? Like, what are the different kinds of, you know, like besides a spa night, you know, like the, it's not just that. Mm -hmm. It's not just one spa night. Like it's a continual, you know, growth, discovery, exploration of what you like to do, what your body receives best, I mean, frick, we could go on uh-huh, forever. Exactly. Forever. Just about that. Forever. Exactly. Oh, okay. So good. So good. Now that we've said we can go on forever, we're going to move on to something else because that is how I do. That's how I roll. Okay. <clears throat> so you said, I think I'm going to skip this one for nature of time. Um, but I want to talk about, ah, there's guys, there's like two pages of things we're not going to get to. It's fine. It's, it's okay. fine. So you said, Stop listening to others who don't support 100% of you. And I know this is going to be controversial on 17 different levels. So I want you to tell me, what do you mean by this? How, like, how do you do this? What does a boundary look like? All the things. Why is this not like the jerkiest thing in the world to do? I feel like as a human, it's hard enough to 
have the roles that we have and add in the the naysaying of others. I feel like if there are people in your life that buoy you and keep that momentum going, those are the kind of people that you want to have in your life. The ones that are not supportive, that question you, that, you know, creep in with their their own insecurities. I think that it's safe to say that it's okay to let them go. What that looks like for you, what that looks like for me, it's it's going to be different. For me, I had to cut people off physically, um, meaning I didn't talk to them, I didn't interact with them, meaning I mostly kept to myself so that I could concentrate on, number one, the things that I did want, and number two, to keep myself in a state, in a space that was supported supportive enough for me to keep moving forward Mm -hmm. Um, because I felt even recently like any bump um, off the road was a big bump off the road and it would bring me down I mean over time it gets quicker and quicker and you can bounce back quicker and quicker but sometimes if it's just the right amount of force it it kind of will put you back into a hole again. Um, I recently went back into a like really huge depressive hole and I couldn't even tell you what it was that bumped me off. But I will say that knowing who is on your team and who is not on your team, meaning who has the sincerity and the genuinity of you succeeding in life, those are the people that you want in your tribe, that you want in your team that are going to help you move forward the ones that tear you down, make you feel bad, make you feel guilty, make you feel shame for what you are thinking and feeling. We don't need that. It's not necessary. That's their insecurity. That's their, it really is their problem. And to that, I, you know, I energetically, you know, I will cut a cord, do a burn letter. I mean, there's lots of like different modalities that I, I have to do in like a physical way in order to like make it make sense to me energetically. Um, but I just don't feel like we've got time for that. We really don't. We don't have time for people that are not interested in seeing us happy and succeed. And yeah. if it means not talking to them, if it means letting them go, it's okay. It really is okay because if they are not going to be there to support you really at the end of the day, is that really what you really want? Right. Right. I said, I, I can't remember where I heard this at. Um, but what this person said was the, when we, when we, um, uh, he's talking specifically about like fearing the judgment of others, which does connect here, right? Because someone says something and we bring it in, right? It's yeah. not about people having different opinions than you. What you're saying is bringing this all the way in, right? We've got to stop doing this. Um, but what he said was when we when we fear the opinions of others or when the opinions of others upset us, that what's happening is like we aren't fearing their opinion. What we're fearing is that their opinion will agree with the worst fears that we have about ourselves. So if I have a fear that I am, let's say too loud, 
and someone comes up to me and is like, oh my God, you're so loud. It's going to hurt. And I'm going to like shrink and make myself smaller because, oh my God, I knew it. I was too loud. If someone walks up to me and says that purple hair is hideous, I'd be like, okay. Cause I don't have purple hair. So I don't need to be offended. Cause I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like right, you're right. crazy. It's fine. So for me, I think instinctually what I was, I've been doing since I started writing actually, and I, I didn't understand what I was doing. So I felt a lot of guilt around it at first. I really removed myself from the writing community when I first started. And the reason was because I knew I wasn't strong enough to keep moving with the criticism. Mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to learn in a safe space. I knew that I needed to learn and grow in an area that I could keep my mm, optimism up enough to keep stepping forward because it was really, really difficult. And I did the same exact thing once I left religion and I started on the spirituality journey as I did, I pulled way in because I knew that I wasn't solid enough. I wasn't on mm -hmm. bedrock for so that when people were like, uh, this is crazy. And don't you think you're going to hell? And what about your mm -hmm. kids? Like, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I wasn't on bedrock. Right. Right. So I hundred percent hear what you're saying. I think it's brilliant advice because it's not, it's not that you're saying be a hermit forever, right? You're saying no. when you need support, surround yourself with support. And then when you are strong enough, like there will come a point in all of our journeys where you're like, I'm cool now. I'm all right. Mm -hmm. Because now if somebody says to me, like, what about your kids? I can be like, my kids are happier than they've ever been in their entire lives. I've seen the proof. Mm -hmm. I know what's happened. I know the shift in my house. Like, I'm not really concerned that you think my kids are going to hell because I disagree completely. Right. Absolutely. I don't, I don't show this. You can say it all day. I don't care. But if you would have said it three and a half years ago, I'd have been a wreck. Right. I mean, I was a wreck because I did get get told that and I did feel that. And I'm like, am I making the right decision? Right. Am I like, because that, that's a huge um, condition that we're um, put under. Like, you know, if you leave the church, then there goes your exaltation. There goes your forever family. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. it's like, well, what if that is true? What if? Uh huh. And yeah. That 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 concept that, alone like, took yeah right in the chest. That added a full year to my exit. A full year of day after day of worrying, panic, trauma, yes. sorting through of just that. What if I'm sending my kids to hell and destroying my eternal family? One year just on its own. It had been there all for the other seven years as well, but one year just to sort that yeah. out in my head. Ah, so anyway, so no, I love this. And I think it's great advice to anyone who is on this path and who has leapt off this cliff of like, I can't do this anymore. This is unhealthy for me. Now what? Um, yes. If they are not in support of you, stop listening. And if you need to cut them off in order to stop listening, that's okay too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's healthy too, because you can't keep yourself surrounded in that cloud. Right. Well, and I think there's a difference between, and, and this is a, a really important distinction I want to make sure we have here. There's a difference between associating with people who have different opinions than you and bringing those people into your inner circle is not the same thing. Like I can, and I think it's important to have discussions with people who are different religions, different thought processes, different political parties, whatever. It's an important part of society, right? Being able to do that. That doesn't mean I need to bring them all the way in and be like, please advise me on my life, right? And now I'm going to listen to everything you say 
I'm just going to do everything right. that you recommend because they're all of a sudden the expert, right? Yeah. And sometimes they spoke up. Sometimes on that path, you do need to cut everyone out and be a little island for a minute while you figure out what you actually think and what you actually believe. Mm-hmm. And then you can keep your inner circle full of the supporters and you can still and you can start moving and interacting in the world in a way that is healthy and stable and loving. And if I have just butchered what you meant and that's not at all what you think, please. No, that's exactly what I was, I wanted to bring up and talk about too, is there is a time and space where you do need to be alone. Mm -hmm. You may not desire it, but it is required because you need to know where to point your compass because mm-hmm. you're, you know, everything has become unstable and has fallen beneath you. You know, we've we've had our tower moment. Our tower has fallen. Like there's there's bits of crumbled, destroyed building all around us. Like, what do you do? Do you all of a sudden just start go and like constructing another building? No. Mm-hmm. Like first, you take a moment to grieve because mm-hmm. everything that you are familiar with is now gone. You know, that bedrock is now washed away. Mm-hmm. And you do need that time to be in yourself and to heal before you even take a step out of that rubble. Just be, you know, have some compassion for yourself to just be in that moment and feel that. That's going to save you a lot of time and trouble right then and there. Like if I, I, I would have had somebody like sit me down and be like, you, you need this time for you. Mm-hmm. You need to be settled first before you can start dreaming of new plans of what you want to build. Right. Mm-hmm. We need to acknowledge what has happened and validate your feelings to know that you are exactly where you need to be. And it's okay if it looks horrible and destructive and messy. Mm. It's okay. It is okay. And I'm going to end the interview right here because what you said was perfect and it was beautiful. And those are the words I want people left with. So Ashley, thank Thank you you. so much for coming on today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider taking the time to like, rate, review, and share. Let's make sure that when someone clicks on this podcast, that our voices are the loudest. Love you all. There once was a woman who lost her way. She wandered through thickets and thorns. They told her her pain was not but the price of finding her soul again. Silent, she was silent, but she'll carry her pain no more. Silent, she was silent.